0: This morning, if you turn to Ephesians chapter 2, as we begin chapter 2, I'll give you a little heads up. Uh, Paul continues this this method of giving us understanding, and by the time we reach the middle of chapter 2, we will have only had, count them, one, two, three sentences in the Greek language. So God wants us to get this. These are monumentally important doctrinal passages to our understanding of who we are in Christ. And as we look now and begin chapter two, we're actually only going to take the first seven verses, maybe only six, kind of depends on where we get this morning. in a study that I've entitled "The Way We Were." Now, I, I, that's that's a song for some of us. Looking around the room, I think many of us remember back to the 1973 movie with Barbara Streisand and, and you know, and, and Robert Redford and this this kind of crazy story that was told in uh, you know, a flashback mode of this couple that splits up, and one is basically a communist, socialist, Jewish person, and the other, Robert Redford, plays a naval officer who ends up serving in World War II. And the whole context of it basically is how their lives are lived apart and what they were before they met and how they came together. Our life is a story much like that. And as we look at it, I don't know if you guys get sucked into these things, but sometimes late at night they have the greatest hits of the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and 2000. And you, you sit there and you, you look back at it. Because I was born in the 50s, you always kind of remember about a 10-year span of music, you know. And so I get a few of those 50 songs are stuck in my head, and definitely a bunch of 60 songs stuck in my head, and then you get to the '70s. The '70s were the era of the songwriter, OK You know, if I could save time in a bottle <laughs> Who wants to store that? You know, Jim Croce wrote that song, and, and you sit there and you think about these things, and isn't it interesting how we remember back in our lives rather fondly things that were absolutely abominable? Amen? You look back at your high school years, those awkward years of maybe that first date or whatever, it just seems so romantic, and you, you hear that music, and you're just like, oh, the way we were. And then you realize, oh, that was horrible. It was awful. You know, we look back on our sports achievements and you know, in our own minds we're like, we're the primo of everything. And, and you, you look back at your, your, your history of your life and you just have these, these immense completely distorted views of the way things used to be. Paul gives us here a very clear picture of the way we were those days that were prior to our coming to Christ, that time that we spent before we knew Jesus comes into view here. And it's not a pretty picture. It gives us that sense that though we think back sometimes and you turn on the radio and you hear that song and it reminds you of a place that you used to be, and I'm not saying that every time that happens it's necessarily bad, you know, every time I hear John Denver, I'm like I think of Connie, and when we were out on a date hiking someplace, you know, because I was an earth person then. I'm still kind of more. I'm just dirt now, but <laughs> but but you, you know, we 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 look back and we think on and and we hear those things. It's like, oh, that was such a sweet time. Then you start thinking, Mm-mm, not so much. Wasn't quite as good as I remember. The way we were. Would you pray with me? Father, we we now come and we would ask that as we open your word to read it and to study it and to receive it, that you would speak from heaven your truth into our lives. And God, we recognize that each of us, all of us, Lord, that are here this morning, that have received the gift of grace. I had a time when we were children of wrath, just as those who don't know you today. And God, may we, with that same vigor that we ourselves cried out to you and reached out to you and became saved, have that same heart for the lost. We love you. We thank you. We give you this time this morning. Pray that you would use it now to bring your truth into our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pick up in verse 1. And this is referring, of course, to the what we call the first chapter, those first couple of sentences, this incredible riches that we have in Christ Jesus that's been pronounced upon us. We're, we're these children of grace, and the Lord has lavished on us and heaped on us this incredible new life. And he begins in, in chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, And you he made alive. Notice what he says next who were dead in trespasses and sins. I I was made alive. I was once dead. And then he goes on. He said, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. You see, it helps to read that correctly. We're simply saved sinners. We're still sinners who have been saved by God. We were there. We did the same things. We pronounced our allegiance to the world. And so, the Lord speaking to us through the Apostle Paul, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as so also were the others. The only difference between a saint and an ain't is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. As far as our nature, I still have a sin nature. You still have a sin nature. It's now been covered and washed in the blood of the Lamb, but I am simply a recipient of the beautiful riches of the Lord that we have in Christ Jesus. And so he gives us this picture of what we used to be, the way we were. And I want to break this down this morning, because unless you get this, you can be tempted to think that perhaps we're different. We're not different. We are different in the sense that we're saved, but we are still in need of the grace of God every single day. I am as a pastor. It's no different for me than it is for the worst heathen. The only difference is I've accepted the cure to what ails me. I am redeemed, bought back, purchased with a price. But as far as the way I was, I was just as cursed as anybody else who's ever walked this earth. And were it not for Jesus, I would have remained so. We must lay hold of this truth because it's the only way that you can see everyone else the way you need to see them. And it is the only way to recognize really who you actually are. And then two of the most sublime words in the entire Bible who I have circled. I I have some pink highlight here. I have a red underline. I have a box around this passage in my Bible. But... God Notice it doesn't say but Jeff. It doesn't say but Calvary Chapel. It doesn't say but Pastor Chuck. It doesn't say but Billy Graham. It doesn't say but you heard it on the radio. It says but God. And when you lay hold of those two words in light of what precedes it, and you realize this is a single sentence down to verse 7, you realize this is much like a doctor looking at you and looking at me and going, well, the bad news is you got cancer, but God. The good news is we got a cure for it. The bad news is you're eventually going to die from this, The good news is, it'll get really good after you do. You see, you can't have the good news unless you get the bad news. That's why sinners never come to Christ unless they understand that they're sinners. That's why people aren't too eager at times to receive the message of the gospel, because they're still stuck in that dead in trespasses and sins. But God who is rich, abundant, overflowing, abounding, is constructed of, is made out of, who is so overwhelmingly these things that we would say He is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He's made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved. And raised us up together. Think of this. Dead to life. Perishing to eternal life. You were going to go to hell. You're now going to heaven. But God, you used to be dead. D-E-A-D. Period. You are going to spend eternity in hell. Because of your trespasses and sins. Because there's how many righteous? None. How many can please God without the Lord Jesus? None. How many have enough righteousness in and of themselves to make it to heaven? None. You were dead. You weren't sick. You were D-E-A-D, dead, in your trespasses and sins. There was no hope but God. Lay hold of it. Grasp it. Mark it. Underline it. You see, because what this does is it takes the person who thinks that they're righteous enough and says, oh, no, you weren't. You were dead. It takes the person who thinks their works are enough and says, oh no, you weren't, you were dead. It takes the person who thinks they're religious and says, that's not the problem, you were dead. doesn't matter what church you go to, what matters is you used to be dead and you need to be made alive. Why do you suppose when John wrote John's Gospel and he wrote the story of Nicodemus and Jesus in chapter 3, why do you think Jesus responds to Nicodemus' question in verse 3 of that book, of that chapter, and says, "...unless a man be born again, he'll not see the kingdom of heaven." Because the problem is, you were born once to die because you were born dead in your trespasses and sins. And unless you change that, you remain dead, you are not alive, and consequently you will die one day eternally. This is an issue of you being previously very dead, the way you were. All those fond memories of that life that you lived, dead. And so he goes on, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Look at how he uses this word rich or riches. It's amazing. God, who is abounding in mercy, is going to make you abound in those riches that we have in Christ Jesus. The exceeding riches, not of your own works, not of your abilities, not of your tremendous understanding, not of my teaching or some other person's ability to communicate it, not of the power of media, not of the radio, not of anything, but of the riches Of His grace. In His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Powerful, powerful stuff. This is one of those passages that when you really lay hold of it, it changes your life. Because you realize that apart from Jesus... There was zero hope for what ailed you and what ailed me. There wasn't another way. There remains to this day no other way. There is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. There isn't. There's no answer, no cure. There's no pill you can take. And so as we look at this passage this morning, realistically... Uh, We were spiritual zombies, amen? We were the walking dead. I don't encourage you to watch that show. But I can tell you that's kind of a picture of how we are without Jesus. We kind of move around. We kind of look sort of human. We have some actions. We can undertake some certain things, but they all lead the wrong way. They all ultimately go nowhere. They're purposeless. They're senseless. Being a child of the '50s, I, I grew up in the age of sci-fi, the horror movie, the B movie. On Saturday morning, you'd get up and you know you'd sit there and watch in black and white, and it just scare you half to death. And it's like so dumb compared to what goes on now. But I, I remember watching my first zombie movie, and I was I was terrified. I mean, these guys are dead. And you can't kill them, but they're dead. You, you see, that's your old nature. You're dead, but you can't kill your old nature. Only Jesus can deal with your old nature. It keeps creeping back. kind of comes out every once in a while, and you know how they do that that walk. It's like, oh man, he's dead, but he's moving. That's how we are in it without Jesus. We are dead people walking. We're wandering around, nothing good's gonna come out of your life, nothing will satisfy you. You will just keep wandering in your deadness until time ends. That's how you used to be. That is actually the way we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You see, is he differentiates here between trespasses and sins or transgressions and sins or disobedience and sins. What he's really saying is you were incapable of doing a thing about it. That's the way you were because that's who you were without Jesus. That's why when you talk to people who don't know the Lord about sin, they kind of look at you a little bit strange most of the time. You mean... Sleeping with this person whom I'm not married to is sin? You you mean getting drunk every Friday night, Saturday night, and trying to make it to work on Monday, that's sin? You you mean uh, stealing from my employer, that's, that's sin? What do you mean, sin? That's fun. I like it. You mean being obnoxious and gossiping and lying about people, that's sin? No, everybody does that. Because we as Christians used to also be dead in our trespasses and sins. We were not just dead in them, we were dead to them. Make sure you understand this. We we didn't have any sense that they were wrong. We were dead to those sins as well. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's just kind of the way I live my life. How many people work Monday through Friday to make it to Friday, to go party on Friday and Saturday, to try and make it into Sunday at some point in time, kind of get sober and go right back and start it all over again. It's because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're dead to them. They're dead in them. And as far as they're concerned, that's life. They're walking around going, I don't know. Just the way I am. Not kind of sick. It simply proves that you dwell in that sphere of death. That's what this world has to offer. When people say, I want to get all the world has to offer, let me save you some trouble. It's dead. It's dead. doesn't mean there aren't wonderful things that we can experience together while we're here on this earth and waiting for the Lord to come for His church all kinds of wonderful things, but ultimately they can't save you. And they also can't fulfill you. That's why no amount of money is enough. No house is large enough. No car is good enough. No relationship is enough. There is not enough of anything to satisfy the fact that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Without Jesus, it's just a constant search for the next thing that applies to your deadness. That's all it is. Next vacation's got to be bigger. And again, I'm not against any of these things, by the way. In Jesus' name, you're supposed to have joy while you're on this earth. We of all people should actually enjoy the things that we do have more than everybody else. But the fact of the matter is, without Jesus, it's just deadness. Then you're looking for the next thing that will bring you a little more life. Amen? Isn't that what people do? They're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for some kind of life. They're wandering around hoping this next thing that they entertain will fulfill them a little bit more. That's why the junkie needs the next hit. That is why the alcoholic needs the next drink. That is why the person who's in a illicit sexual relationship isn't satisfied with one partner. That is why these things are the way they are, because people without Christ are dead. And because they're dead, they live in a dead world, and the dead world wants dead people to do dead things. And it is ruled by the God of this age, the prince of the power of this world, Satan himself. That's why those things look the way they do. That's why TV ads work. That is why those billboards catch your eye. That is why when you're sitting there reading that article and all of a sudden there's something titillating in it, you just gravitate towards it. Because this world and its system is governed by Satan, and it is dead. It appeals to the old man the way you were. You've got to see it. Because if you lose track of this, then all of a sudden you think you're immune. Oh, I'm past that. And you may well be in a practical sense. But trust me, there's enough deadness still around. We call it the old man, amen? It's not your husband's ladies. The old man is that old you, that fleshly appetite, that desire, those things that go on. There is to some degree a sense that you can remember what it was like to be dead. Amen? All of a sudden, you know, know, maybe that's not that bad. I, I had a dear friend, a pastor friend in El Cajon, that in... And I've shared the story once before, but it's been a while. I'm going to share it with you guys. He met with a with a guy in his church who was addicted to heroin, and he took his heroin away from him, and he put it in his drawer because he did not know what to do with it. And there it sat for more than a year. And it's like in the back of that drawer, because this pastor had had a Rough time in his younger years with alcohol and drugs, sat in there with a syringe. And one day, in a weakened state, he had had an argument with his wife, his kids were going sideways. The enemy said, Just do it. And he did. Lost his wife, lost his family, lost his church. Ended up in rehab. He went back to see what it was like to be dead. Don't underestimate the draw of this world to that little bit of remnant deadness that's still there, and you all got it. Whether it's your temper, or whether it's some attraction, whether it is some part of the world, the flesh, or the devil's draw on you, you still have the capacity to go after some of that dead stuff. That's not who you are anymore. Paul uses this, verse 2, really to, to describe kind of the marks, three of them, of an unbeliever. He says, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, commander of the powers of the unseen world. I'm reading to you from the New Living. And he's a spirit that's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to a- obey God. You see, we're in the world. We're no longer of the world. But the world's still pretty active, amen? you got to be careful. Can I tell you you need to be careful? Because the world is still the world. We should have and be walking in victory in Christ Jesus. But the world doesn't go away. The world remains. That's why Jesus said there in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated him first. Amen? We now have allegiance to a new world order, so to speak. And his name is Jesus. But the ruler of this world, the one that we walk around in, is still none other than Satan himself. The victory eternally has been won by the blood of Christ, but he hasn't claimed his prize yet. Amen? He's going to do that one day. He's going to peek through the clouds and come back and get the church. But right now he hasn't come back. So we still struggle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. We still get stuff thrown in our direction that can be very attractive at times. You still have a fleshly part of you that is very capable of seeing things wrongly and acting on them. That's why it's so important that we walk in mercy and grace. Amen? Because if we're not walking in the grace, the unmerited favor of God, then even as Christians we can begin to think that we're good enough on our own. Or that we have arrived at some special place where I'm no longer susceptible to the things of the enemy. In Jesus' name, if that is you, you need to rethink your theology because my Bible clearly declares that until Jesus comes and gets me or I go to be with him, I am going to maintain a place on this earth that leaves me open to temptation. That's why Paul said, who can deliver me from this body of death? You said, what's up with that? To will to do those things which I ought to do, I do not find. But those things which I will not to do, those very things I do. That was the Apostle Paul, by the way. Romans chapter 8, chapter 7. Read him. He struggled. He had some things going on. We don't really even know what it was. But I know this. He took the cure. (laughs) We know what the end of his life was. You see, we don't want to go back to the way we were. You see, just like the rest of the world, mark of an unbeliever, they followed the prince, the mighty prince of the power of this air. That prince, of course, is Satan. It gives you a sense of how powerful he is. He's the accuser. He's the evil one. He's known as the devil. Uh, The Greek word used here is archon, and archon is is a supreme ruler. He's not just a little guy. He's not like a governor. He's not like a president. He would be the ruler of the whole world. And that's what he does, and you can see it everywhere. It is nuts what's going on in our world right now. Our president now is impressing upon the Supreme Court that we need to strike down DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. If they do that then we will live in a country that plainly states that God is wrong. Because God established marriage. Not the United States of America. God established what marriage is. He determined what a marriage is. He said, and for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father, and a woman leave her home, and the two shall be joined as one flesh. One man, one woman. That's what God said. I can't tell you how many Christians are going, well, it doesn't really matter. It matters to God. It's always mattered to God. And it matters to us as a society. But see, the ruler of this world is saying, oh, well, it's so much more inclusive. Just, you know, just don't bother them. You know, let them do that. It's okay. It's far more tolerant. It is never tolerant to do exactly what God's Word declares we shouldn't. That's why I won't look at a drunk in the eye and go, well, I just know how bad it is, so go ahead and drink. I won't look at someone who's in adultery and go, well, if I was married to your husband, yeah, I'd do the same thing. If I was married to your wife, well, I get it. You You have to stick with what God's Word says because you're going to get a dissenting opinion, amen? And it's going to come from the world. The world's going to be tossing stuff out at the body of Christ. And unless we're walking uh, in that power that we now have, because we used to be dead, we're now alive, the Spirit's in us, we have that discerning ability to look at the world and go, man, God's word says this, the world says that, I'm going to take God at His word. Otherwise, you start to gravitate back towards the deadness. Those evil powers are going to remain at work. Notice the third thing, and again from the New Living Translation there at the end of verse 2, and it's actually then explained in verse 3, gratifying the cravings of the sinful nature. Anybody else got cravings in your sinful nature? I do. I, I, I drive down the hill. I drive past... In and out, I'm like, Connie's up with her sister. I can have two double-doubles today. I'm like heading right over there. I'm going to cardiac arrest, you know. It's just, yeah, we still struggle with all kinds of things. And we don't need to dredge up everybody's past and start talking, well, you know, I'm you know, struggle with, I'm not asking you to do that. So please don't. But let's suffice to say that Scripture's correct, Amen. That there are things in your life that are attractive in this world that you have struggled with and you now struggle against because you are alive in Christ. You used to not struggle against them. You actually engaged in them willingly and they were your life. And now you're over here and you're struggling. That's a good thing. People always ask the big question, have I committed the unpardonable sin? And I look at them and I say, the fact that you even asked that question is proof positive you didn't. Because you would not care if you had. You wouldn't care. Because it would mean that you're not redeemed. That you don't know the Lord. You would be back in that deadness if you were once enlightened, as Hebrews says. But do we struggle? Yes, and that's exactly what your Bible says, by the way. That's why Paul used the past tense in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He said, have I not told you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, make a lifestyle of them? Because that's a sign you're dead still. But if you're struggling, you can struggle with anything and be a child of God. Anything. You don't want to struggle, and you shouldn't be struggling too much, but struggling is a good thing. That means that there is a conflict, and the only reason you could have a conflict is because you actually are not one of the dead ones anymore. You're one of the live ones, and the dead stuff bugs you. Hallelujah. You should realize this. That's why that fight goes on. We get to chapter 6. We're going to see that. Why the fight's there in the first place? Because your sinful nature, that old you, before you met Jesus, you're still tuning into the radio, yeah? You're like, oh, wow, I remember that song. I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. Oh, that was so great. Not. But your sin nature says, oh, yeah, it was awesome. You just don't remember the part about waking up there on the floor of the bathroom. You know, you don't remember any of those things. Satan doesn't bring that to your mind. Doesn't remember the trouble that you used to be in. Doesn't remember the deadness that you walked in. That's why you got to remember you once were dead. We're lost in sin. We can't save ourselves. Phrase that's translated here, sinful nature, is actually a single Greek word. It's the Greek word sarx, which is most often translated flesh. Anybody here able to walk around without your flesh? Didn't think so. That's why in your flesh dwells no good thing. You, you, You see, the old you is part of the old leadership. And the old you is able to be attracted to the old ways. We don't want to go there anymore. That's why the Lord sends the Holy Spirit and gives us victory and grants us those blessed times. of just going, man, thank you, God. How many of us have been delivered from something that we struggled with? Amen? Yeah, I I have been. How many of us have been in that place to where we were lost, we were dead, and we had no hope of ever being fixed or healed but God? Amen? We were wandering around completely without hope. Just like moths to a flame. Amen? You ever tried to figure that out? You ever wondered why a bug zapper works? I'm thinking if I'm a moth, that wasn't good. Not following him, but all of them just going kind to... Of, and you just sit there. It's, like, it's entertainment. If you, if you live down in the south, they actually sit on their porch and watch this all night. And the bugs just... There would be a pile of bugs at the ground. That's us without Jesus. That's a bug zapper. Think I'll kill myself. Isn't it weird how we just gravitate towards things that we know will kill us? We know will damage us. I've had people look me in the eye. I'm leaving my spouse. And I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Look me right in the eye and tell me they're going to do it. And they know it's wrong. Moth to a flame. Old nature's worked up. But he's sitting there going, oh, you know, I just have my issues. Yep. It's called your old man. Sinful nature. Like the rest, it says, we were the objects of wrath. In other words, without God, we were in deep, deep, deep trouble. Amen? Without God, we're all in deep, deep, deep trouble. And it's only because of Him that we're not in deep, deep, deep trouble. That's why it says, for by grace you've been saved. Amen? I didn't get saved because I, I was able to discern. oh, that's a bug zapper. I'll go away from there. Oh, that's cocaine. I, I won't do that anymore. That's someone else's money. I won't take that. It isn't because I recognize the problem. The diagnosis was fatal. Did you get it? The doctor walks into the office. He sits you down. He says, I need to tell you something. It's not good news right now. Today, Um, you're dead. Look, but I don't feel dead. I think I'm. No, you're actually dead. He says, but if you take one of these, you're going to be alive. But I don't feel dead. You see, that's the reason that people struggle with the gospel of grace they don't feel like they're dead they think they're alive well I was at a party yesterday I was in this relationship last week I've got this coming on in my life they don't feel dead but they're dead sinful nature keeps telling them nah you're alive really alive I mean look what you got going on you're alive That's why in, in this picture, Satan never tells you what the afterwards is going to be of those lifestyle things that we engage in, does he? He doesn't, he doesn't come knock, Got something fun for you this weekend, and uh, it's going to be awesome. And you're going to die. Doesn't give you that part. Kind of conveniently leaves that part out. The enemy says, it's gonna be awesome. You're gonna be fulfilled. Oh, and you're gonna die. It's gonna kill you. You're gonna end up in hell. But that's what I mean, really. I mean, everybody dies. The enemy is crafty in his wiles, folks. You need to remember the way you were. You see, sin becomes a tyrant, it becomes a heartless slave driver, it becomes the harshest master ever, it becomes insatiable, it cannot be satiated you just got to do more and more and more and more and more and more and more, and you never get to the place to where, wow, that was great. It's because you're dead. You always were, and without Jesus you will remain. And that's why verse 4, as we wrap this up for today, but God. Here's the answer. You see, if you just stuck with the first three verses... Everybody's walking out here, I'm dead. We just all go out, I'm dead. We're all dead. Jeff told me we're dead. Which is the way you were, amen? I can see Barbra Streisand singing the song now. One of the top 100 movie tunes, won an Academy Award. Most of us know it by the first line, memories. In the corners of my mind. You know, you can just see her singing that song. And that's exactly the problem. Because that's what happens to us. We don't see the deadness. We get the memories. The little things that kind of collect there. The dust bunnies of our minds. Some of us have more dust than others. Okay? Okay? <laughs> Some of us to shop back will not help. (laughs) But God, amen? amen? You see, that's the answer. The answer is, but God, who is abounding, who is rich in mercy. Remember what mercy is. That is not getting what you deserve. You're dead. You deserve to stay dead. You should remain in your deadness, and you should get the penalty of your deadness, which is eternal separation from God. That's what you should get. But because God is rich in mercy, He doesn't give you what you deserve. Ever as a child of God. You get His mercy instead, which is applied through His grace, His unmerited favor. Not because you woke up one day and go, I'm better now. You ever had one of those miraculous healings in your life to where, you know, you, you think you're going to get the flu? And you've got all the little symptoms. You're just like, you know, you got the little scratchy thing in the back of your throat your stomach's a little fever going on. And the next morning you wake up and you're fine. That's how a lot of people approach deadness as a sinner without Christ. Because they repeatedly get well for a short period of time. They think they're not dead. It's like, oh, I'm not dead. I feel much better now. The problem is, the cure for what ails you has to be an eternal cure. can't be a temporary cure. No amount of fixing the things today is going to fix eternity. It has to be fixed for you. That's why it says, but God. Amen? Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Think of this for a second. With what we've already seen. This is God's character and His nature. He looks at you, you are dead. You're a zombie. You are incapable of fixing yourself. You're going to do the wrong thing most of the time. God automatically understands that, but because of who He is, He's rich in mercy. He is completely made up of love. He says, I can fix this. What glorious words. This is how God acts towards people who are dead. How do we act towards people who are who are killing themselves, generally speaking? We go the other way, don't we? Typically, when we see people who are struggling, we say, well, I don't want to get involved in the accident. I don't want to get caught up in the debris. Uh, You know, it's just, uh, ah, he's going to do his own thing anyway. She's going to do her own thing anyway. It just doesn't matter. God says, Jeff's destroying himself. I'm going to heap upon him my riches of mercy. And I'm going to show him how much I love him. And that will cause him to come to me. What people do without Jesus is they say, I deserves it. She deserves it. Made his own bed. Made her own bed. Let him lie in it. You see, that's the old man. That's the old nature. That's the sinful you. That's what we would do. You see, we would we would say, Oh, well, I could get, you know, if I have a relationship with that person, I mean it'll bring something into my life. It's all about me. But God says it's all about us. But God rich. He's bountiful in his mercy. Basically. He loves us in spite of the fact that we were dead. Hallelujah. Amen? We can say that because we weren't that attractive. I've met people who think that they did God a favor by coming to Him. It's ugly. God got no bargain when He found you. He didn't get much. And relative to what he spent to get it, which was the life of his only begotten son, he got a goose egg. But God, who is rich in mercy, who doesn't look at, I won't get much out of that. If I came to you and I said, well, I have an investment. And I want you to give me everything you have and you're going to get nothing in return. Zero, zip, nada. How many of you are going to take that? Don't, please, I don't even want to know if you're that crazy. Okay. You're not going to do that because your humanist wants to protect what you have. God is so rich in His mercy and His abounding love towards us is so deep that He looks at us. And knows that we are total losers. And says, I want Jeff anyway. I'd love him anyway. Not only that, I want to bless him anyway. In spite of who he is, in spite of what he's done. I'm not approving of his sin. But I so love him that I want him to live. You see, but God why the prophet Zephaniah wrote in Zephaniah 3, For the Lord has taken away my punishment. Turned his back to the enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, why should I ever fear him? You see, that's why you can say, and that's why Scripture reminds us, that perfect love casts out all fear. Amen? Because a God like that is easy to love back. If he just heaped a bunch of commandments on me, forget it. I'm toast. Because I got a little rebelliousness in me. I know you guys didn't know that, but I do. I'm just like, I'm a child of the 60s. You know, born in the 50s, middle of the 60s. That was it. It was like rebel against the man. My peace sign. I, dude, yeah. You know what I'm saying. They're in the back of your mind. You're thinking back and you hear those songs. You're just like, man, that was... Wow. Peace, love, man. It wasn't peace and love. It was deadness. It was deadness. But God made us alive. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, even when I was dead in my transgressions, God made me alive. I didn't make me alive. He made me alive. As we continue this, next week we'll find the way we are. This week the way we were. Next week the way we are. Because of all of this. But lay hold of that God. Look at the way you were and be very thankful this week. But God, Amen? amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning. God, as we, as we ponder the way we were and realize what you did, God, I want to pray very specifically. If there's anyone here this morning who's never recognize that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, if they've never come to that place of Nicodemus asking the question, what must a man do to be saved? God, I pray this morning that you would just put in their heart by the Holy Spirit a desire to be saved. And God, as we end in prayer and as we know what your word says, if we confess you before men, you'll confess us before our Father. We know that God, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we can enter into that relationship with you that brings us out of that dead oldness into that alive newness. And God, we thank you that those words are there, that you give us the diagnosis and you also gave us the cure. You looked at our lives and said, Without me it's hopeless, but because of me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy that abounds. Lord, we thank you for your grace that's endless. Help us, Lord, to walk not as the old people we were dead, but as the new people we are alive in you. It's in Christ's precious name we ask these things. Amen.